This episode of Safe Space Radio is brought to you by Physicians for Social Responsibility and listeners like you. This is WMPG. My name is Ann Hallward. I'm a psychiatrist here in Portland, Maine. This is Safe Space Radio, a show about the subjects we would struggle with less if we could talk about them more. Today we are continuing our series on the emotions we hide. The series includes stories and conversations about loneliness, guilt, humiliation, and jealousy. This week we'll hear two stories about guilt and how it can weigh on us long after the deed itself has been forgotten by everyone but the perpetrator. After each story, I'll have a short conversation with each of the guests as we reflect on the nature of guilt and the possibility of forgiveness. Here's the first story. Hi, I'm Julie. I live in Maryland, and I'm going to tell you a story about a time when I did something and I didn't confess it to anybody for over 20 years. So I had just gotten married to my beloved husband. We had bought our house and he was away in Africa for work. And we just discovered we were pregnant with twins. So our lives were really on edge and kind of scary. And financially, we were worried about my husband's work. He was, uh, they were going to probably lay him off. So that was pending. And I was downstairs in the basement as knowing that he was away and far, far away. And um, we had just moved all our stuff into this house. And I was curious. I was going through some of his boxes, knowing that I didn't really fully know this man and his history. And there were letters from old girlfriends and other great stuff in this box. And um, I was already feeling a little guilty about that. But then I found this black vinyl bank bag. So I was like, wow, and it, it seemed full to me. So I opened it up and it was, there was a lot of money in it. At least to me, it seemed like a lot of money, several hundred dollars. I was like, wow, where, where did this come from? And, um, and I just thought to myself, well, this is our money. This is, you know, even though it's in Randy's box and it's, it's our money, everything he owns, I own with him. And so I knew that we also needed to pay some bills and I wanted, we were trying to fix some things in the house and uh, put carpet on the steps of the basement. And so I said, this will pay for that. So I took the whole wad of money and paid some bills with it and paid for the carpeting to be put on our stairwell, which is still there, guilt money right there on that stairwell. And I thought to myself, well, I'll tell him when he gets home. And so he gets home and I start to tell him and everything inside of me just started shaking like, oh my God, what will he think of me? And Maybe he won't want to be with me anymore if he knows that I stole money from him. And how am I going to do this? And I just said, okay, I'll put it on the back burner. I'll just wait until the right time to tell him. And I waited a really long time. And I just thought, well, 
maybe he'll never look in that box, never miss it. And I can just not ever tell him. Um, and the years passed and we began to find our more stability. And as we began to find more stability, um, I started having some dreams about that bank bag and about what I did and that I should really tell him about it. And I would wake up in a cold sweat and I was determined this time I'll go and I'll tell him. And I thought, God, just too much time has passed and he's still going to think that I'm such a bad person. And at this point, I was an ordained minister. I was doing ministry and um, <laughs> that just adds to the whole um, sense of guilt about it, about what kind of person am I. And so I didn't tell him for years and years and years. And finally, one morning, we had, we had been really having some problems and in our marriage. And I thought, I, I had had another one of those kind of wake up in a cold sweat dream and just it's the dream that just says, you've got to tell him maybe a part of why y'all are struggling, just come clean, get things clean with him. So it was a beautiful spring day and he was out on the porch and the sun was going down and the whole porch was filled with sunlight and he was drinking a beer. He was seemed content. And I thought, well, okay, this is the time. And I just gathered my courage and I w sat down on the back porch and I told him what had happened 20 plus years ago <laughs> around what I had found in one of his boxes. And, um, and I was shaking. I just, I was trembling. I just, my voice was shaking and I was still very quite scared of what's his reaction. And he just looked at me and he was, he just said, I'm so relieved. And I said, what? You're relieved? And he said, yeah, I thought you were going to tell me that you were going to leave me. I thought you were going to tell me the marriage is over. And he said, this is good news for me. It's like, it's, I, he goes, that's, that money he was thinking. And he said, I, I'm trying to think where that money came from. And he said, it must be from some theater troupe that I worked with for, I don't know, 40 years ago. And he said, don't worry about it, honey. He just totally, he forgave me and um, and our marriage is still going.
Julie, I love that story. It almost makes me think that the best way to confess something is to set it up so the person is expecting something really bad. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it makes me think of that. Like there was something that was going around on Facebook or email, you know, where this teenager is like saying, mom, I should let you know that. And they tell them all these really, really bad things. And then, of course, it just turns out they got a bad grade on their report card. And the mom's like, oh, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I want to ask you about one part of that experience. So you're there, you're this newlywed person. So you're like, yeah, you know, what's mine is his and his is mine. So you're feeling like entitled to this money initially. And then at some point, that sense of entitlement clearly goes away. <laughs> and now you feel really guilty. And I'm curious if it was partly because you felt like you hadn't told the truth. If there was almost this, it was not like you lied to him, but you kind of like omitted telling him. And I wondered if in some ways the the guilt was not just the going through his stuff and the taking the money, but but if the last straw of it in some ways was the not telling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I at first when I thought, well, this is our money, but he hadn't he hadn't given me that. He hadn't said it was his money from a long time ago. And um, I just, um, logically, I just tried to make it our money, you know, and so that my actions with our money made sense. But in the end, I knew it was his money and I needed to ask, I needed to check it out with them if this is money that we could spend on bills or whatever needed to be done around the house. So it was an act of, you know, um, stealing from him. I stole from him. Yeah. And so I want to ask you now about forgiveness because it sounds like he really, he very explicitly, he forgave you. Mm -hmm. Um, But forgiveness always seems to me to be so much more complicated then it seems like, you know, growing up in Sunday school, I was taught like, you know, you're forgiven and then it's all over. Like it's that simple. Um, so I want to ask you, do you think that what freed you was his forgiveness or the fact that you felt like you'd finally done the right thing? No, I, it, it was clear that because I told him, <laughs> I mean, at that point we were going through couples therapy and I think I trusted us enough to know that we could work through this. So the forgiveness was the icing on the top. It was more the, I just needed to get this out of my body. I needed to be cleaned. I needed, I needed to confess it. And I had to risk not knowing how he would respond. I was lucky. (laughs) So you you work as a minister, you work with a congregation, and I'm curious, what have you learned about how to be with someone who's struggling with guilt, having struggled with it yourself so deeply? Well, people confess things to me all the time, and it's clear to me that not forgiving someone for anything it's not the the path I, I take. The most important thing is that they're able to feel like they're in a safe enough place 
to share whatever they've done or whatever they've thought or whatever they've felt, um, no matter how big or how hard it is to have a, a place that's radically accepting them and saying yes to them and um, with open arms. So I felt that from Randy and, um, and to learn how to do that with myself. Do you ever recommend, you know, like how to make it right? Well, it depends on if they feel like they've done something to someone that they, um, the person has died, let's say, and they can't go to them in person. I, I encourage them to write a letter to even the deceased. I think even though if the person has died, we can still relieve, release ourselves from guilt, um, And I tell them if they can, if they feel, even though I didn't feel safe going to Randy, I was shaking in my boots. I was sweating. Um, It's like, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference to whatever prayer or whatever mantra you need to do the right thing. um, I encourage people to do it. I'm Laura from Maine, and this this all happened when I was, I don't know, I guess I was 20 or 21 years old, and it was my uh, last year of college, and I got a job as a waitress in kind of really one of the only, only restaurants in town. I went to a small liberal arts college in upstate New York, and I was the first employee that was a college student at this local college. Like there was a very, very much a, a town and gown kind of element to the college and, and, and the town itself. And it was a kind of a very average seafood restaurant. It was on the lake. It had a deck. Um, so it was kind of a, a destination spot. But, but college students didn't go there a whole lot. But if they did, it was like a special occasion. And so one night, a couple came in that I recognized from school, and uh, I was their waitress. And I felt a little uncomfortable, like a little embarrassment about waiting on them, I think. This was a couple that um, was in a long-term relationship, and they didn't need to be working at any of the local restaurants, but I did. Um, And so I was waiting on them, feeling a little bit embarrassed and kind of wanting to alleviate some of that anxiety and embarrassment and impress them, I started giving them free drinks. And how that worked was I had to order the drink and, um, and then I would void it off of my, my slip. And so I did that all night, probably gave them about, I don't know if it was like three drinks a piece or six to eight drinks. And I just did that the whole night. And I 
wound up charging them for the bill and cashing it out and went home and didn't think anything of it. And I thought, oh, well, hey, I got maybe got some points with them or something. So anyway, the night goes on. They leave. Everything's fine. I go home and I get home. And that night I got a call from the owner of the restaurant and he said, uh, we're just going through the statements from the night and you it looks like you gave away six drinks. And I was so stunned and so embarrassed in that moment that, of course, he caught it because it was all computerized. And in that moment, I just lied. I said, no, I didn't. And he said, what are you talking about? Of course you did. And I, I just kept saying, no, I didn't. And I kept lying and lying and lying. And I knew he knew, and I couldn't admit it, and it was it was awful. And he was going crazy. He was so angry and infuriated that I kept lying. And he said, well, you, you're not coming back in. Don't come back in to work. You're done. And so in my short two months there, as the only college student who had ever worked there, <laughs> they probably never hired anyone again, I was fired over this incident of giving drinks away to two people who I really wasn't even friends with. Really. So that was that was 25 years ago. Now it's a couple months away from my 25th year reunion. And uh, recently a friend of mine on Facebook posted a picture of a very crumpled looking old flag. And she said, Okay, everyone, here's a picture of a flag I stole from the Elks Club. Should I return it at reunion? And I immediately said, yes, you should return it. I'll go with you if you go with me uh, to pay back the equivalent of the drinks that I gave away to this couple on such and such a day, and got, which got me fired. And, you know, there was a lot of kind of comments about it. And Sue said, definitely, I'll definitely do it. So that's my plan. The best case scenario would be if the same owner or boss would be there. I have a feeling, though, that he isn't there. I, I don't think that there will be any of the same people. I mean, it is 25 years later. So I don't think I can really expect that. That would be the fantasy is like just apologizing to that one person who I don't even know the guy's name, but I think I would recognize him. Um, I've also had a little fantasy about buying people at the bar drinks and, you know, making the repayment kind of like a double, like that would be my interest or something like that. Um, and it kind of being more of like a celebratory kind of thing, which I don't know, it's maybe very self-serving that wish, um, like total forgiveness and acceptance and love. Um, I guess the worst case scenario that people are like, eh, all right, thanks. And I just leave and that's it. And there's no discussion. I think that that's maybe, I guess the worst case would be is if the owner was there and he threw the money back at me or something like that. That would be the worst case. But I imagine that that's not going to happen. If I get the dismissive reaction, I, I definitely think it will just be good to just pay it back. I definitely feel like that will alleviate any kind of any weight that that weighs on me.
So, Laura, thank you so much for telling me that story. I love it. Um, I can totally picture you as that 21-year-old kid trying to be cool, like trying to be the magnanimous host, you know, like who's who's like this big, big person on campus who can offer these drinks and be cool in that way. Um, I'm curious about, what, you know, what you just said a minute ago when you said, even if he throws the money in your face, you know, even if you get the worst possible reaction, it still will be good for you. And it makes me think about the distinction between kind of external forgiveness from the outside and mm. internal forgiveness from the mm. inside. And mm. um, I wondered if you could talk about those two sides of it for yourself. Hmm. Well, I mean, I think ultimately the, the, the deepest satisfaction would be the internal forgiveness, you know, the... And, and I think that there's some way that even just wanting to go back there and do it and like planning it, it already leads to internal forgiveness for it, you know, that it just like the act of there or the feeling like, yes, it's something I want to do. Like it's already forgiving myself. I mean, I think that in some ways that I, I do essentially forgive myself. I think when I look back, I think I was a really different person then. I've grown a lot, you know, like I forgive myself for that. 21 year old person that I was in the spot that I was in and I don't feel like that's something that is part of my character and something I would continue to be doing it's something that happened and um, I think the desire to kind of repay it just completes it it just kind of finalizes it so if there is external forgiveness that's a that's like a feather, you know, it's or it's like the icing on the cake, I guess, you know, of the internal forgiveness that's already in process. That makes so much sense to me because I think sometimes we get very focused. I think as a child, I got taught about forgiveness as this only this external thing, like something you ask for someone from, whether it's like God or someone else that you've harmed. But clinically, I feel like what I encounter is that self-forgiveness is by far the harder thing that, you know, people can forgive you. But if you don't forgive yourself, you suffer. Oh, yeah. And um, I'm struck, like, listening to you say, just even knowing, like, even planning that you're going to go back and do this, like, make make restitution. It sounds like it's it's almost not about forgiveness. It's just almost like being reminded of your own goodness, like, just being reassured, like, I am a good person. See, I'm going to do the right thing. <laughs> well, and look how much I've grown. <laughs> you <Phew>. know, <laughs> I was 21 and now I'm 46 and I can take ownership in the way that I couldn't with the lying. I think maybe that's the, the act of repaying it really um, helps with the part of me that was lying in that moment that couldn't own up to it, that couldn't face it. And, and so I think, you know, there's the forgiveness for that, the internal forgiveness. But I think the part of me that felt the shame about um, lying to him so, like, obviously, it was just so clear I was lying um, so that the act of repaying it to the other is really kind of what it completes that kind of cycle. It sounds like. In a way, until you saw that Facebook post about this crumpled up old Elks flag, that you really hadn't been carrying this. Like, this has not weighed on you as a deep, guilty thing. No, it hasn't. <laughs> and I'm curious what you make of that. How come, do you think? I think in some ways that I I think I've been able, because I think I've been able to understand that that was a certain point in my life. I think I've 
come to some forgiveness about who I was at that time, what happened, the positions I was in, um, who I was then, that I think I've done some forgiving of myself. And so I haven't, it hasn't weighed heavily on me. I felt like in, in perspective, maybe that was small. It was a small thing to have done that I, I couldn't let something like that weigh on me. As I think about you as that kid, that 21-year-old, who was one of the few people you knew at this elite college who had to have a job, I'm wondering, I, I start to think about that act as your attempt to manage actually class shame. That here you were feeling mm -hmm. like ashamed and exposed for being this working girl, as it were. Mm -hmm. And that in giving them free drinks, you were like being the gracious one who had money to give. Mm -hmm. And and so in a way, it feels like easy to forgive you because you were, it seems like the taking the, the you know, effectively taking the money for these drinks was initially an attempt to deal with shame you were already feeling. Does that seem right? Yeah. I mean, I think it was a way to compensate for feeling, for for class difference. Because it really, you know, the drinks weren't mine to give. But it was it was me giving, you know, from the restaurant, the bounty of the restaurant, I guess you could say. It was kind of giving them something that I really didn't have to give. Um and so I think it was a way to compensate for something that at that point at college wasn't talked about. You know, class differences weren't talked about. It was something that I felt acutely. Laura, thank you so much. It's fun to talk to you. Thanks. Next week, I'll be talking with Professor Herent Kachadurian of Stanford University, who brings together philosophy, religion, and psychology to give a broad synthesis of perspectives on guilt. He'll tell us how to relieve our guilt in five clear steps and walk away clean. If you like this show and want to hear more of our series on the emotions that we hide, you can like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at Safe Space Radio. And you can find us on the web at safespaceradio.com and listen to all of our past shows, including the shows on loneliness at the beginning of this series. While you're there, please subscribe to our email list to find out about each week's new show as soon as it's released. My thanks to Gabe Graben for producing the show and to Jim Russell for being our editorial advisor. Coming up next, Speak Freely. Speak Freely.